Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You know, this past Monday was a huge anniversary for something you probably take for granted. We all do. It was April 3rd, exactly 50 years ago, when a guy named Martin Cooper was out on the streets of New York and he made the first ever cell phone call from a handheld portable wireless telephone. That was 1973. It's amazing to think that if you were at that exact same spot in Manhattan right now, you could probably look around and count at least 10 or 20 people on their phones. Of course, the cell phone that they used 50 years ago was a little different from the one that's in your pocket now. This 1973 version weighed two and a half pounds and it was 11 inches long. It's a good weapon. But the great thing about the cell phone call was Martin Cooper worked for Motorola. He was an engineer working on cellular technology and he decided to mark the occasion of the very first phone call, not by phoning a loved one or the president. He decided the first call would be to the head of the cell phone program over at AT&T. He phoned the competition to rub it in. Hilarious. It's incredible to think how far that humble brick of a cell phone uh, has become the cultural changing device that it is now. And to talk about that and where the cell phone is headed is our friend Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist. Hi, Carmi. How are you? Hi, Martin. Great to be with you. I'm looking at my cell phone thinking I'm really glad it's not like that original Dynatac that he made that call on. We would both be in trouble if it was. Yeah, I remember those phones and they were just <laughs> so big and you you didn't think back then you didn't go, oh, that's a big phone. You just thought that's what a phone had to be. <laughs> yeah, and I remember early in my journalism career, I was still a teenager and it was you know, early 90s and uh, we, you know, we got one in our newsroom and I went out and they, sort of, they said, hey, instead of calling in your report on a payphone, just use this. You know, we're trying it out. And I remember I, I was living in Montreal at the time where I grew up and I pulled the phone out after I, you know, I was reading my script to sort of call it back into the newsroom. And I, I pulled the phone out and make the call and I'm standing there on the sidewalk and literally people stopped dead in their tracks to, to watch me. I, I almost felt <laughs> like a busker. It was the weirdest thing. And for a while there, for much of the 90s, that was kind of the thing. And it took a while for it to become a normal social thing that somebody would pull out a cell phone. Now we don't even give it a second thought. But back then, it was a, it was almost like a, like, like a, like a, like a stopping your tracks kind of moment. And it was remarkable to sort of see jaded urban dwellers just kind of look up and go, whoa, something has really changed here. This person looks like, you know, it's almost like he's got sci-fi in his hands. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny how when we look at these things, uh, I know I do. I sort of don't see the full impact that they're going to have because most of us looked at the cell phone and thought, wow, we can make phone calls from wherever, whenever we want. But we didn't think that it was going to be, you know, the, the entire world at our fingertips, that we were going to take pictures with it, all the things that we do with the phone. 
Yeah, and it's funny. Uh, sometimes you'll see this go around online, this you know, ad from Radio Shack from the 80s with all these things that you could buy, these gadgets. And then you fast forward to today and they, they laugh. They're like, all of that capability is now built into a smartphone. And, you know, we didn't foresee in 1973 that, you know, the, the humble phone would be able to do data. We, no one really understood what wireless Internet was. It wasn't even a thing. Um, you know, no one really understood that it would go well beyond just voice calls. And, you know, the fact that it has, I really, I, I think it, it speaks to ingenuity. Of course, Canada had a huge role to play in that. It was the BlackBerry that really drove us beyond voice, showed that you could do email and text messages messages on a mobile device as well and do it elegantly. Uh, and, 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 you know, the rest, of course, is history. The cool thing is, is that Dr. Cooper is now 94 years old. And, you know, periodically, whenever this anniversary comes up, he gets quoted. He loves to talk. He, he travels the world, tells the story of how he made that first call. Um, and he's always too happy to comment on how it's gone beyond just a phone um, and how it really has revolutionized the way we live. And he's really optimistic about how it can be used in future for medical advancements, for, you know, other things like healthcare to, to help, you know, so- social order, to drive communication between society. He's a big optimist in terms of where we go next with cell phone technology, with smartphones, with wireless tech. Um, and he really believes that, you know, the story is just being written, even though it's 50 years since he made that call. Yeah, I guess it, it really is just being written because I read an interview with him. He was talking about uh, being able to charge our cell phones with our bodies. That was what he yeah. thought was going to happen. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, if you think about sort of the paradigm today, you know, it, you know, Every cell phone or every smartphone kind of has the same layout. It's a slab of glass. It's a touch screen. It's charged by a battery. It connects wirelessly to a wireless network, and you can make voice uh, voice calls, texts, and apps, and all that. Um, but you know the, the, that really hasn't changed for the most part in the last ten or fifteen years, really since the first iPhone was released. And what he's saying is, if you look at all the components that go into a smartphone today, there's no reason why they can't be broken apart and eventually embedded in us. So for example, you know, we can have a microphone that's embedded in us so that we don't have to hold a phone in front of us. We can actually talk to it. The actual communication can be an embedded device as well, uh, or it could be a wearable. So there's nothing that says that the form factor has to be a smartphone in future. And I think it really is only a matter of time. Once displays get better, we can incorporate them into glasses or 3D holographic projectors, uh, you know, augmented reality projection in front of us so we can walk down the street and literally have that information projected in front of us. I think it's only a matter of time before we no longer carry that smartphone in our pocket or walk around like praying mantises holding it in front of us below our heads. Um, and I think he's absolutely right. It's not so much the device itself. It's what are the capabilities that can be baked into smaller devices that can then be incorporated into things that we use and wear every day, or in some cases wearing it, it could be us. And those components, rather than charging them up, would be powered by our body. Yeah, and I guess talking about medical advances, if it's so tied into our body, I guess it, there will be opportunities to, you know, to tell us when we're having, you know, heart problems or, or all sorts of things. It's funny, since the Apple Watch first became a thing, and what is an Apple Watch but a scaled-down smartphone, if, you know, we're really getting overly simplistic here, but, you know, we've seen that technology being used in the medical space. That almost seems to be what I like to call the killer app of the technology. It's the thing that makes us want to buy it because it's a use that's so uh, impressive, that's so life-changing that we literally can't imagine life without it. Uh, and so when you look at the, at, at the Apple Watch, every few months there's a new announcement of, 
how it's being used for uh, cardiac research and, and early detection of cardiac events and early detection of Alzheimer's and, er, and uh, early detection of Parkinson's disease. And the reason being, and, and I think that that's where this promise lies, wearable technologies that we've got on us 24-7, because they're collecting data all the time. And if you go to your doctor's office for, say, a blood test, that's only a, a single point in time, and that doesn't really tell the doctor a whole lot. But if you're wearing a device that can track, say, your blood pressure over time, that can give the doctor so much more to work with. And that data can be shared with your doctor and they can see that events are happening or they can see patterns in the data and say, hey, you, you know, you're not feeling anything right now, but you should get to the hospital now because the data is telling us there's an issue. So rather than simply reacting to medical crises after the crisis has occurred, we can use the data that's being collected by all these amazing devices that we wear all the time to proactively treat ourselves and not get sick in the first place. Oh, we see an indicator. Let's go get that taken care of. And that's a revolution in healthcare at a time when the healthcare system really needs it. It's under pressure. Let's use technology to change the, you know, change the order of things and really give advantage to us because right now the way we've been doing healthcare isn't really working all that well. Technology can certainly level that playing field. Interesting. And and it's certainly reading a lot of data already. I, I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, Fitbits and steps mm-hmm. and all that. And he said, oh, well, there's a thing on your iPhone. And I said, oh, really? And he showed me the app and he opened it up and he said, yeah, you had 2000 steps or whatever yesterday. And it was already reading, even though I didn't know the app existed, it was on my phone and it was already reading how much I was walking. And it, it was kind mm-hmm. of a creepy feeling. And that kind of brings us to uh, security and the iPhone. And we were looking at that uh, very first cell phone call 50 years ago. The one thing about that call was that the person who was picking up at the other end didn't have to check to make sure the call wasn't coming from somebody claiming to be from Canada Revenue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to cell phone scammers. Carmi, are are we winning the war? Uh, let's let's say we're treading water. Uh, you know, some days we 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 get a leg up, and other days things happen that make me shake my head. And unfortunately, it's it's a battle that continues to rage. It's intensifying almost by the day. And every time we seem to get a new tool in our toolkit to protect ourselves against scammers. The scammers seem to figure out a way around it and they raise their game as well. So back and forth, cops and robbers, tit for tat, you name it. The, what we like to call the threat landscape continues to worsen. And we as, as individuals, as citizens of, you know, digital citizens, we need to you know, have our eyes wide, wide open. Um, and, and be aware of that threat when we do use digital tools. Otherwise we are at risk. And that risk grows almost on a constant basis. And it's such a, a vague term, cell phone scammers. I get calls all the time that come from uh, Grenada and Estonia, and I just don't answer them. And I don't know what they are. I don't really know what they want. I just assume they're scams. Yeah, I and mean, see, the scary thing here is that it used to be, you know, it showed up on your call display as from somewhere far away. You could tell that it wasn't local. You could tell that the person on the other end had an accent, perhaps. And so those were what I like to call the tells, right? Like the obvious, oh, of course, this is a scam, so I'm just going to hang up. But now what's happening, if you look at call display, it looks like it's coming from your local area. It's, it looks like a local call. The person on the other end might sound just like you, might sound like someone who you probably 
probably interacted with at the bank or in law enforcement or at your kid's school. And so, you know, what they're doing is they're, they're changing their tactics. They're becoming much more sophisticated, recognizing that we can, we can tell when it looks like it's coming from, from Nigeria, but we certainly can't tell when it looks like it's coming from around the corner. Um, and it makes it more likely that A, we will pick up the call and B, we will actually engage with them and they stand a better chance of getting through our defenses and convincing us that this isn't a scam, that this is legit. That's the scary thing is in some cases, it's hard to tell the real from the not real. And in some cases, that makes it a lot easier for these scammers to separate us from our money. And it's probably impossible to pinpoint, you know, the one scam that's the worst one. But give me an example of a scam that that actually works. Yeah. So, I mean, there are like, I mean, you know, you, you touched on the CRA scam, their home improvement scams, employment scams, by name brand items for cheap scams. I mean, there's a whole litany of them. The one that really jumps out at me uh, as being particularly worrisome now, and because it is so frighteningly effective, we call it the grandparent scam. And that's where someone picks up the phone, you know, the phone rings, you pick it up, and there's someone on the other end claiming to be either a police officer or, you know, someone, your grandchild's been in, a, in an accident or in some kind of emergency, uh, need, is, is in jail now, needs money for bail, or is in hospital, needs money for medical care, and uh, you need to send the money now. And here's what, you know, here are the instructions go. Uh, and in many cases, of course, that's a pretty distressing thing to hear. So, you know, you just go, oh, of course it's the cost. Oh, my God, I can't say no to my grandson. And you send the money, uh, only to find out that they are not law enforcement officers. They've taken the money and run. Uh, there's a new sort of, twist to that now is that uh, they'll use something called voice cloning where you actually hear your your grandchild it's your grandchild's voice saying grandma i'm in trouble you need to bail me out and it sounds just like them and it can go on for 30 seconds and it could include some some facts about your grandchild that you would think only you would know and it makes it even more real and it makes you more likely to pay the money uh, but of course that isn't your grandchild talking that's a technology called voice cloning. They went online, found a sample of their voice, which all of us have out there, and they created this from this AI tool uh, and used it to perpetrate the ruse that they are, in fact, real when they're not. Uh, million, you know, millions of dollars across Canada are being stolen literally by the day, uh, including my neighbor who walked up to my house, knocked on my door earlier in the pandemic and says she too had been victimized in that way. It's the scariest thing going, and it almost seems to get worse by the day. Yeah, that is just horrifying and the thing i'm hearing there is is the gap between older people and young people because i i think younger people they they're very suspicious they they don't even pick up half the time they wait until someone leaves a text message or a message uh but mm -hmm. but older people they come from a time when the phone rang you answered it Exactly. And, you know, the, and I think that's really the, you know, when we talk about, gee, what do we do about these kinds of scams, especially as the, the, the criminals get better at their job, is that we, we as consumers, as, as potential victims, we need to start leading with cynicism. And even just saying that, frankly, kills me because I'm an optimistic person. I don't want to believe the worst in humanity. But when I pick up the phone, I have, you know, we all have to stop assuming that the person on the other end is who they say they are. In other words, 
just because you've called me doesn't mean that I'm going to believe who you are. You must prove to me who you are before I accept that you are, in fact, legit. So, you know, it's, it's you know, Ronald Reagan used to say trust but verify. It's actually the opposite. It's ver- verify first, then trust. Uh, and then when you get a call like this is, is, you know, by that same token, we shouldn't believe everything that we hear. In other words, if someone calls and says your grandchild's been in a horrible accident, I was, okay, I'm going to hang up now and I'm going to call my grandchild and see how she's doing. Uh, and of course, you know, they'll go, grandma, what's going on? And, and you'll realize now that that was an attempted, uh, you know, that was an attempted fraud. So we have to sort of have the courage to a, not believe what we hear on the phone. It's okay to be impolite. And then we have to have the courage to bail on these calls and then do our own checking, right? Go online, creep them, Google them, look them up on LinkedIn, get their names, get their numbers. If they don't want to share, that should be another tell. Again, because we started off cynical, we're looking, we're probing, we're asking those questions, we're challenging them, uh, and we're making it a lot harder for them to get inside that circle of trust that all of us have. As long as we do that, then we stand a much better chance of, of fighting off this kind of victimization. The problem here, and you touched on it when you first asked the question, is that a lot of families aren't having those conversations with members of, of at all ages. So grandkids and kids aren't having those conversations with parents and grandparents who may not have grown up with these technologies, may not be familiar with this. Whereas if we have those conversations, when the phone rings, they'll go, oh, I remember the kids were talking about that. Okay, prove who you are. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 